0: Well, good evening. Thank you very much for, uh, for coming and joining us tonight. This is, as you know, my first time up here as your newest elder. And so, <laughs> and so I, I appreciate you guys' prayer and your support and everything you guys are, have encouraged me with. Um, it's not an easy thing. Even uh, I have such a, um, admiration for Lance and for our pastor, what he does every week. You know, it's not an easy thing to go through scripture. He's been doing it for 30 years, obviously. But for us newbies, it's kind of a, a task that is um, kind of daunting when we approach it. And we don't realize sometimes that the, all the work and effort that goes into preaching the Word of God faithfully. And so just thank God for our pastor and what he does. And uh, I, I, just, I appreciate that he um, has enough trust in me to be able to fill in for him tonight. So and thank you all. So uh, as you guys know, uh, what we do on uh, Sunday evenings is we gather around, we hear the Word of God, we go through a portion of Scripture, and then we pray it back to God. Um, We've been doing this for some time now, and uh, we just finished praying with Paul. If you guys haven't, I don't know, I'm sure most of you have been here with us, but for those of you that haven't, we went through Paul's prayers, and we Looked at what he prayed, how he prayed, and then we prayed it back to God. Prior to that, we were doing psalms. Lance was taking us through the psalms. He was expositing those, and we were sitting down again, and we were uh, praying those back to God. So we tonight are going to do the same thing. We're, we're going to go through Acts four verses 23 to 31, and we are going to draw some applications from that uh, portion of Scripture. And then we're going to gather around and we're going to uh, pray that back to God. Uh, so why don't we stand for the reading of God's word? Go with me to Acts 4, verse 23. You can follow along as I read. Acts 4, verse 23 says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage in the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the, the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had been predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you tonight, Lord, as we approach this portion of Scripture, Lord, to draw out its application, Lord, and be able to pray it back to you, Lord. Father, we pray that this time would be edifying to us, that you would equip us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit to learn the principles found in your word, to preach your word, Lord, to witness the gospel, Lord, faithfully and with boldness. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So, um, basically this portion of scripture is really, it's kind of a long portion. And when I was thinking about what I would choose to talk about tonight and what to present, uh, you know I was going through acts myself, and I remember that you know since the theme is prayer, I remembered this uh, portion where the early church gathers together for prayer and as I got into it, I was uh, a little bit disappointed because there 's so much in here to draw out and to apply and it 's just um, it was it was literally too much for me to be able to get to put in one uh, hour or 30 minutes, which I have right now. So what I did was I just broke it, ta- I broke it down to, to uh, a few things. Number one, uh, the, the, the purpose of this portion of scripture is the believers praying, they pray to God to grant them boldness, you know, in the face of threats and persecution. And to get it in context, I guess we would have to go back really to the first chapter. We know that after the resurrection of Christ, uh, Jesus appears to his disciples and he, he tells them to remain in Jerusalem. And he, uh, he promises the helper, the Holy Spirit. This is at the end of Luke, which is um, Luke's first book to Theopolis. Acts is his second book. And Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit. So he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until that happens. Uh, if we go to Acts uh, chapter 1, Jesus, before the ascension... Down in verse 4, he says, you, you heard from me, verse 5, I'm sorry, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Later on, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in Judea and, all, and Samaria and and to the end of the earth. Later on, in chapter two, the day of Pentecost, this this um, this, this promise is fulfilled. They're to, they're gathered together. They're praying. Verse two. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one, on each one of them. So. Pentecost comes, they receive the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up, full of the Holy Spirit, preaches this masterful sermon to the people who are there, and the result of that is 3,000 souls being converted, right? They're cut to the heart by what, uh, what, by what Peter preaches. Uh, later on in, in verse, uh, the last verse of chapter 2, it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the church is growing. The early church is growing. Uh, chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way up to the temple to pray, and as they're going there, they see a lame, a lame man, a beggar, uh, at the door of the temple, and they heal him. They strengthen him. Uh, this causes commotion. This causes uh, People are amazed at this, that that the the apostles did this. And a crowd starts to gather around, and they start to question what's going on. So Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, takes this opportunity to to preach the gospel to them again. And in the midst of this, if we go down to uh, the end of chapter 3, around there, we see that God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So he's witnessing Jesus Christ to them. So the chief priests and the leaders, they see this, and they, they go there too. They, they're trying to see what the commotion is. And Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, and those, do those people ring a bell to you guys? You, we know who those guys are, right? These are the same guys that put Jesus to death that turned him over to the Roman authorities. These are the guys that plotted his murder. These are the same guys. And, and they seize Peter and John, and they put him in prison. They put him in jail for doing this, for healing this man. The next day, they bring him, and they start questioning them, Right? And so that's where we are. Uh, they question them in much the same way they question Jesus. Right? Now, if you're the apostles, Peter and John, what are you thinking when this is, when this is happening, right? They, they just witnessed Jesus being put to death by these guys, the same people, and now they're standing in front of them, right? So they start questioning them, by what power, by what authority are you doing these things, right? So they basically tell them, they give them the gospel, and not only that, but they indict them of the murder of Jesus Christ. They said, you put him to death, Right? Verse 10, he says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Right? So these guys are annoyed at the apostles, and they threaten them, and they tell them, stop speaking in this name, or else, basically, is what they tell them. And what do the apostles do? They, they, they say, no, we're not going to listen to you. We're going to boldly proclaim the gospel, right? In verse 19, Peter and John answered to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they threaten them and they release them. And that's where we are in our uh, verse 23, where we start. And I have an outline if anybody's taking notes. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. So the motive of their prayer is first, and then we're going to look at their method of prayer the request they make, and the answer they get. And this is in, uh, basically the outline for this, whole, for this whole section of Scripture. Let's look first at the motive. Verse 23, right? The apostles and Peter and John, they're, they're released. They're being persecuted for teaching Christ, and they go to their friends and tell them what happened, right? Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Well, what did the chief priests and elders say to them? Stop preaching the gospel. Stop preaching in this name or else, right? They're charged not to speak about Christ, right? And in other words, they're being, they're being commanded to do contrary to what Jesus had commanded them to do in chapter 1, verse 8, which is you're going to be my witnesses to all the ends of the earth. So this should ring a bell too because uh, reminiscent of Matthew 21, 23, right? When... when when the chief priests and the elders questioned Jesus, they questioned, them with, they questioned him with the same thing. They said, by what authority are you doing this? In other words, Jesus, where is your authority coming from? In Matthew 21, 23, Jesus answered them, I'll ask you a question as well, and I'm paraphrasing. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they, all, for they all hold John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus, of course, says, well, then I won't tell you where my authority comes from. Right? This is a tactic that the chief priests and the elders use. They charge them not to speak about Christ. They charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they're astonished at, at the fact that these apostles, these common men are learned, and, they, and their teaching is, is, uh, is with authority. And uh, they realize that these men had been with Jesus. That's what, the, that's what Acts says. You know, when we look at this also, we look at not only what they're being told, which is contrary to what Jesus commanded them to do, but where they go. Right away they go to their friends, right? Uh, or their own is kind of one of the translations their church, right? At this time, the church is growing. There's uh, believers. Uh, these are the other apostles, the, the, the early church, right? They go to their own to pray. That's the motive for their prayer. Their motive for their prayer is that they're being persecuted. So begins here the, the persecution of the early church. Let's look at the method, the method that they pray. Uh, and this is verses 24 to 28. They pray together, and they use Scripture. I want, I want you to uh, see this. They use Scripture to remind themselves that God is in control. By the way, one of the reasons I chose this um, portion of Scripture is because it, it exemplifies exactly what we're trying to do here uh, Sunday nights, which is pray Scripture back to God. This is a, a beautiful example of how the early church did that, right? And it also, of course, gives us confidence in... in um, and how to witness to people. But if we look at the method that they use, uh, verse 24 to 28, even though there's different verses in there, you'll notice that it's one long uh, paragraph. There's no periods there. Let's read it. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. I have the ESV. I know maybe some translations don't say Sovereign Lord. I think the... uh, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had been tested to take place. Notice the first thing we see here in verse 24 is that they prayed together, right? They lifted their voices together to God. When they hear of what the apostles went through, the church, they immediately go to prayer, right? In other words, prayer is central to, to, what, to the life of the early church, by the way, prayer is also a major theme in the book of Acts. In uh, chapter 1, 14, it says they're devoting themselves to prayer, right? At Pentecost, when they were gathered together, right before receiving the Holy Spirit, they're praying. Uh, Peter, you remember later on, when Saul, uh, Saul or Paul is converted and God sends Ananias to, to, to find him, he says he's praying, Right? Peter and John, they pray at Samaria in, in chapter eight, fifteen, 15. Uh, Peter uh, is in prison in chapter 12. He's praying, and, and his bonds are released. And then, of course, Paul and Silas, are, are, they're praying in prison. And then what happens? There's an earthquake, and they're, they're freed, right? And they, they, uh, they witness to the Philippian jailer. So what we see here is that, is that if the early church is dependent on prayer... Even after witnessing uh, the, the the ministry of Jesus Christ, right? Then how much more should we devote ourselves to prayer? So, and not only do they do they devote themselves to prayer, but they they have an accurate view of who God is. And I think this is this is one of the things that really stood out to me was they they address him as Sovereign Lord, right? In in verse twenty four. Um, if you have the uh, NIV, it should, it, sovereign Lord, I know the King James ver- Version says, Lord, thou art God. Basically, the word in Greek is "despotas," which we get the word, which from we get the word despot. That's a ruler, right? Absolute power. Uh, master, king, Lord. This is how when they pray, they're referring to God. They're referring to God because they know Who he is? They have an accurate view of who he is. The next part of that verse, if you notice, he says, "Who they say who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them?" What does that remind you of? When we think about that, that's Genesis one, right? What are they doing here? They're they're praying scripture back to God. They're doing just like um, they're full of scripture, right? Actually, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Not only is that found in Genesis, but it's also found in the Psalms. Um, even before they quote Psalm 2, which is they're about to do here, go to Psalm 146. let me show you this real quick. Psalm 146.6, I think, is worth our time to go there. I think when I was reading this, I I, I came across several commentaries that said they have the Psalms in their minds as they're praying to God. Much like when we pray the Psalms, we pray them back to God. Um, But in Psalm 146, look at verse 3, he says, Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And then verse six, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed. You see how what they're 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 full of scripture, and they're when they pray, they remind God of those prayers. I think it's phenomenal that we have an example in the Bible that, that's applicable to us of what we're doing here on Sunday nights, right? which is praying Scripture back to God. They also, by the way, if you notice, they also affirm the, the, the doctrine of, of Scripture inspiration right? in the next part of that verse, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, That's inspiration right there. Right? They're affirming that God, the Holy Spirit, is the author of Scripture. He inspired it, He wrote it through men, right? Second Peter 1 20 No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God, He's the God of revelation. His, his truth, His word, is what they're, taught, what they're proclaiming. So they, they pray together. They have a, a, an accurate view of God and who He is, creator of heaven and earth. They use Scripture. And then also, they quote Psalm 2 here. And the next, point I would, uh, next thing I would point out to you is that they view their situation, what they're going through right there, through the lens of what Scripture says. Why do they quote Psalm 2? Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, right? Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers uh, were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. They tell you why this psalm applies to their situation. Verse 27, because in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, right? Whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, right? The kings of the earth, the rulers, Pontius Pilate, Herod, against the Lord and against his anointed. Who, the peoples of Israel, who are they? Right? Against the Lord and his anointed. Uh, and then verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That that verse right there is just loaded with theological implications that I can't even begin to get it to. I wouldn't do it justice even if I tried. You know, in this time I have. But they view what they're going through as sovereignly allowed by God. In other words, the persecution they're facing from these authorities, not to witness about Christ, they know God is in control. They know that he's in control. Let's look at their request. Verses 29 and 30. They make their request to God for continued boldness to witness through the power of Jesus. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice they don't ask God to remove the threat, right? Now, the believers, they're concerned. Do you think they're not as, concerned, as much concerned with their safety as they are with obedience to God and witnessing, right? Because that's the command that Jesus gave them. They want to advance the truth. Why? Because they know that God is sovereign. Um, I was here in a, a Sunday morning a few weeks back where Lance is going through Romans in the morning. And he went to Acts 18.9 where Jesus says to Paul, Don't be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And then he says, And no one will attack you, for I have many in the city who are my people. God sovereignly in his wisdom, even the persecution that these, this early church is facing, he's in control of. And they know this. That's why they can pray to him and not have to ask him to remove the threat. Right? Instead, look, consider their threat. That's what they say. And then they request God to grant them to continue to speak with boldness. Not to start speaking with boldness, to continue in the face of the threat. Where do they get this boldness that they have, right? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, um, John Salty was preaching, and he went to Ephesians 3, uh, 3, uh, verses 14 and 21. And that is where... Let's go there real quick so that we can see this... this power that we have through the holy spirit to witness to people the gospel of jesus christ ephesians 3:14 to 21 paul says for this reason i bow my knee before the father from whom every family in heaven and on our earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being luke 24:49 at the end of Luke's gospel, Luke, you know, who, who authored Acts as well, he says this, and behold, Jesus says this, I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Right? And then, of course, Acts 1.8, Acts Jesus says, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria. Right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, sometimes I think when we witness to people we have that tendency to be intimidated. Did that ever happen to you when you, when you know that if you speak to somebody about Jesus you might get rejected from them, right? You might get um, there's some hostility there. There's uh, you know, we live in a culture although we're not being persecuted here in this country as much as, as in other countries, we still have the freedom to proclaim Christ, but we, have, we live in a culture that's hostile to the to the gospel and instead of, and instead of uh, realizing that, the, that what we have within us through the Holy Spirit is God's very power to, to tell them, to witness to somebody, sometimes we tend to you know, go into our safe space, if I could use that term, and, <laughs> and not say anything. Um, why? Because there's, there's a tendency in our culture to um, label us as, you know, bigots, intolerable, or you're intolerant, you're narrow-minded, you know, you're... Um, this shouldn't be. We have the truth of the Word of God. We have the gospel of God. We should be able to proclaim boldly to people and witness to people just like they are. They're doing it in the face of death. You know, we can't... We're worried about what people are thinking about us, and instead we don't tell them about the gospel. In fact, you know, when I think about this, um, I was looking at some of the examples in Scripture, and do you know that in the Bible the tendency that to care about what people think about us. We don't find that in the early church and, and in the apostles. You know where we find that? In the chief priests and the elders. Their power is always derived from what people think about them, right? Every time they want to arrest Jesus in the Gospels and do something to him, they're always restrained by the fear of what the people are going to think, right? In Matt twenty one twenty six. Jesus cleanses the temple, right? We just read that, and he, and they asked him what authority. Notice when they when they got together and they started talking. Well, if we say this, or if we say this, it's all it's what the people think. The plan to they plan to arrest Jesus by stealth at night, right? Because they didn't wanna uh, they didn't want there to be an uproar. Matt twenty six five says. In other words, their power is derived from what people think about them. And in fact, even in Acts, in the first, in, uh, when they question the apostles, right, in chapter uh, uh, 4, right before we, we saw that, when they're deliberating, they say in uh, verse, uh, let me see, and I think it's 16, yeah, what shall we do with these men for a notable sign has been performed through this and it's evident to the inhabitants. Right? They're worried about what people think about them. That's totally contrary to what we have. Instead of worried about worrying about what people think, we should be in obedience to God, boldly proclaiming and witnessing the gospel, because we only care about what he thinks. Right? We want to be obedient. Also, too, Notice that they say in verse 30, while you stretch out your hand and heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You know, they want this because the request that, that God heal people will confirm the truth that they have, that they're taking to the people. And in fact, in later chapters, this happens. And in Mark 16, 17 to 18, Jesus promised this to them. There it says, uh, Jesus says, "These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. The same way they ask that people be healed to confirm what they're saying, we can ask God for people to be saved when we witness to people, when we witness to them, when we pray to God, we can ask that, that the people that we, that we witness to be saved. Then look at the answer that, um, that they get. Verse 31, the last verse. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The place where they were gathered was shaken. This is, uh, for them, a tangible sign and evidence that God not only listens to their prayer, but he's there with them. He's present. right? God hears their prayer. Um, All throughout the Psalms, a lot of them, uh, Psalm 77, 104, 97, the earth trembles at the presence of the Lord. When, the, when God shows up, the earth can't but, but tremble. It's illustrated beautifully in, in Nahum 1. I know that this might be a familiar passage to a lot of you, so if we can go there. First chapter of Nahum. I'll start in verse 3. He says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea; it makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither; the bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him; the hills melt; the earth heaves before him. The world and all that who dwell in it. In other words, why, why does uh, Luke say when they had prayed that the the place was shaken? Because God is there, right? That's that's the evidence. That the now it doesn't say that it could have been an earthquake or just there, where they're at. The Bible doesn't clarify that, but, but it, it, God's presence, it's, it, he's there. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just the apostles are full with the Holy Spirit, right? He says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke emphasizes also in the book of Acts the the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the whole book is about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the early church. Um, I mean, we see that at Pentecost. We see that uh, every time Peter is full of the Holy Spirit and he's proclaiming Christ, uh, whether it's to the chief priests and elders or to Gentiles, Um, Stephen who was stunted, that is described as a man full of the Holy Spirit. Right? Saul, when he's converted, he receives the Holy Spirit. Um, Being filled with the Holy Spirit, right, we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And what what is the result of that? We continue to witness the truth of God. We continue to, to proclaim his name with boldness. So we see in this whole section of Scripture that they pray to God. They have a method. They, they realize who he is. They use scripture. They view their situation through what, the lens of what scripture says. They request God, not that the threats be removed, but that they be able to continue preaching Christ in boldness. And God answers the prayer in this, in this whole section. And so what I want to do, I think if we have time if we could gather together and, and, and use this example as a way for us to pray back to God, that he use us as well to witness to people, even when it becomes, um, in a way, intimidating for us to do so. Because if they did it in the face of death, then how can we not do it, you know, where we live in a culture that is almost apathetic, Right? If you're a Christian and you have the word of God and you have forgiveness of your sins and grace and joy and peace, you can't but help, love, um, or want people to come to Christ. You want to share that. And we're not going to be intimidated by the fact that people are, is going, to, people are going to reject what we're saying. We don't convert people. All we're, all we're, all we're commanded to do is to take them the gospel. And we don't, we don't have to worry about whether they like us or not. Most of them aren't going to like us. You know, we're not, I'm not that likable anyway. <laughs> but you know, it's not me. If they dislike me, because if someone, or if I get peer pressure from somebody because they don't want to hear the gospel, it's not me that they're aiming their frustration at. It's who I represent. It's Christ in me, and me telling that person about Christ. Who am I? You know, I'm nobody. Uh, you know, when I when I was looking at this, also, we know that the world, is, you know, it's not an easy place for Christian for Christians. But if you consider what what exactly it is we are proclaiming to the culture around us, it's. It's obvious, right? Think about how incendiary what we say is. Jesus is the only way to God. It's only him. There is no other way, right? Everyone's a sinner. You're a sinner. God judges sin, right? For the unbelieving person who loves his sin, you're a threat to that. When you bring that message to somebody, that's threatening to them. For the chief priest and the elders, they had the power to ostracize you from Jewish... Uh, society. They, They plotted Jesus' murder, premeditated murder, handed him over to the Romans, they crucified him, they roused up the people to yell, crucify him, crucify him. It's the same today. The same today. People don't want to hear about Christ. They don't like this message. But yet we're commanded to do it. We're commanded to do it in boldness and we have the Holy Spirit within us to allow us to do that. You know, if they would have prayed, if they would have prayed for God to remove the threat, just in chapter 4 at the, at the beginning there, do you realize what comes later? Paul is converted, right? Saul is converted. He heard the bold preaching of the early church. In fact, he, he was there when they stoned Stephen. He was there approving of it no doubt in my mind that he heard the, the bold proclamation of Christ and him being a Jew, zealous for his, for his learning, did everything in his power to persecute him, to persecute Jesus Christ, right? On the, on the road to Damascus, Jesus asked him that question, why are you persecuting me? So if they would have asked, you know, God, please remove the threat, let us comfortably just uh, share the gospel with somebody and invite them to church you know, that's not going to work. We have to confront people with the gospel. That's what we're commanded to do, and we're empowered to do that by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> In our bulletin, we have, um, we have uh, the motto, right, that we have, uh, uh, which I just translated to Spanish for our Spanish ministry. Loved by God, redeemed by Christ, and then the last one, empowered by the Spirit. Well, empowered for what? Right? empowered to tell people about Christ. The early church did it, and they use a, a very beautiful method, and I think that we can learn a lot from that.